0: And so it was really a pioneering role, and it was developed um, in response to a loneliness crisis. So that was ha- that's been coming on, and you know, I think awareness of loneliness, social isolation, um, and then the antidotes, which are community, friendship, belonging, kindness, loving each other.
1: I believe that love is all around us. Love is everything and everywhere. I am love, you are love, we are all love. In our divinity, in our soul, in the truest and simplest form of our being, we are pure, unconditional love. Love is the answer to everything. Every week in this podcast, we're talking to incredible and beautiful people who will be sharing their insights and perspectives to help you find more peace, to help you come from a place of love more often. To help encourage you to be kinder to yourself and others. To help you create more happiness in your life. To help you feel more oneness with others. And to help you connect to your higher self. My name is Justin Court. Together, we will help shift the collective consciousness of the planet to be more loving, kind, peaceful, happy, empathetic, understanding, and accepting. This can only be achieved together. It starts with each and every one of us. We are one, and it's time we start acting that way. I am so, so grateful that you're here. I love you, I support you, and I'm here for you. Let together create more love in this world. Let's do this. Today's guest is the Director of Belonging at USC, Kat Moore. What's a Director of Belonging, you might ask? Well, Kat talks about what her role entails, its purpose, the issues she's facing, and how she's helping pioneer this type of position since it didn't exist before. Its birth came in response to a loneliness crisis, which is affecting people of all ages. She tells of her story that helped prepare her to take on this role, which didn't come from education, since there isn't a PhD in this, but from the countless connections she made at a Starbucks over the span of a decade. This is a whole new world of education, which is exciting and so important for our collective consciousness, and I'm grateful to help shine some light on it. Cat Moore, welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you being here.
0: Justin,
1: let's spread the love. Yes. Uh, Already coming through with such good energy. I am so excited to chat with you. Share, well, first understand more of what you're doing as the Director of Belonging at USC, and then just share that with more people. It's so cool. Um, And Kat, really, I, I thank you for being here. Kat had reached out to me and just Given me so much love, and um, you had mentioned that you were the director of belonging, and that just like sparked so much interest in me and what that is. And in the message you sent me, you said that you help teach people how to become Wi Fi hotspots of kindness everywhere they go. And when I read that, my mind blew. I was like, this sounds incredible, and I need to just chat with her and, and share what she's doing with as many people as possible. So, Definitely want to understand more about the Director of Belonging, what that means, how you got here, how you got a position like that. Um, But if you can just share just, I guess, you know, what are some of the key aspects of being a Director of Belonging?
0: Sure. You, what, you mean that's not a common job? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it should be, is the whole point of this job is that once people know it exists, then I'm hoping they're like, well, why don't we have one of those? Don't we need one of those? Yes. Right. So someone's got to be the first to be like, this needs to be a thing. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm super grateful to USC, which is my alma mater um, for allowing this position to emerge, even though none of us knew what the heck it was going to be. We just knew we needed to almost put a placeholder and be like, so this thing needs to happen, but we don't know exactly how it's going to evolve because really the position evolves in relationship to the people in the system. Well, I don't know what they need until I know them. Right. And so I don't, I did not come in with a bunch of like, programming and frameworks and like things to do to them Um, that never works in life in general Mm -hmm. but especially in this kind of work because the work is really um, happening within ourselves and between us in real life Um, and so that's not something that other people can guru you into Um, it's something that we have to metabolize and um, vision and then enact for ourselves um, and so also, I just want to say, it's so weird for me to talk first because my whole job is built around listening to other people and asking them <laughs> questions. So whenever I come on these kinds of things or get interviewed or, you know, in other contexts, it's it's like, I always want to find out more about you, um, which I think I'll get an opportunity to as well. But um, yeah, so the the role, what does one do who is a director of belonging? Well, um, the position has, has, does not exist as far as we know or hadn't um, when I came into USC three years ago um, in the history of higher education. And so it was really a pioneering role and it was developed um, in response to a loneliness crisis. So that was that's been coming on. and you know I think awareness of loneliness, social isolation, um, and then the antidotes which are community friendship, belonging, kindness, mm-hmm. loving each other, um, you know, uh, also are getting some airplay. But really, um, we didn't think it could get any worse about three years ago. The statistics were so harrowing, especially for the first time since data was being collected on loneliness, it was Gen Z the younger generation who was the loneliest of all generations. And of course, this isn't, we're talking about the US, um, but in other uh, countries in the West as well. Um, And then COVID. And we're like, oh, it can get worse? Yeah, uh, Amazing. This is amazing. We already didn't have great coping skills for this, like on personal levels or group levels um, or organizational responses to this, right? You don't just send everyone who's lonely to the counseling center um, if that's if they don't need mental health support, you know? So there wasn't a great way to respond to people just not being able to really connect meaningfully. We're not talking about how many TikTok followers you have, right, or how many parties you went to. Uh, we're talking about meaningful connections. Um, people that you have mutuality with, can be your real self with, where there's give and take, Um, that, uh, was sorely lacking and it was then cascading into mental health problems, physical health problems, dropping out, um, substance abuse, all kinds of other things. And, you know, we know that, um, uh, loneliness by 29% increases your mortality rate. And so that's on a physical health level, um, so I know I'm like talking at you a lot of things really fast, but the, the, the scope of the problem and the complexity of the problem, it didn't just appear overnight. It sometimes pops into public discourse and the media and the zeitgeist as if it just came out of nowhere. But really, that just means it's broken into our personal awareness at that point this has been like a beast that has been like mutating um, for a very long time and causing a lot of devastation and so then by the time it surfaces its ugly head um, you know it's really hard to just have some silver bullet right it's a very complex um, and fine-grained problem and it's a social problem it's not just an individual's problem and so there they brought me in um, why would they bring me in. Like, why me? Uh, Well, because I have my PhD in this. No, there is no PhD for this. It's because I sat my butt in a strip mall Starbucks for a decade, um, learning how for the first time in my life, I spent the first 20 years of my life chronically lonely. And then I became a mom and sat in a Starbucks for a decade, literally learning how to befriend people from every possible walk of life and help them learn how to befriend each other through the very simple acts of being present in the same place over time and making space to listen to people, care about their lives and let them do the same for me. And in the social wasteland of Los Angeles, this organic Motley crew community started overflowing the Starbucks into the neighborhoods and into the rest of our lives. And it was those micro skills of what happens in the 18 inches between us and what doesn't. And that's where relationships are formed or not. And so how do we slow down to make eye contact, to listen, to care over and over and over and over and over again, wherever we are, whoever we're around. And so I developed um, a workshop experience at USC called CLICK Um, To give people an opportunity to come together and start to share their social stories, start to practice listening, start to ask questions about what's possible when I leave this room and I look at someone on campus, I've automatically decreased their experience of loneliness just by looking at them. And so really empowering people to realize, yes, there's this giant nasty problem that's insidious throughout the culture. But I can actually make a humongous difference with very little time, energy, and effort to spark um, that experience into other people. And that's very um, empowering for people to realize their own power.
1: Can you, for a second, just the Starbucks thing, what was that exactly? How, how did that play out? You, I know you went to Starbucks for 10 years, but what, what did that look like exactly?
0: Oh my gosh, it was nuts. And so the first thing is, it's not like I went in with some researcher hat or like public community servant hat. I went in like crippled in my own loneliness, unable to look at people. So, but I but I still had the same need every one of us has, which is to connect and be part of a village that's, you know, bigger than ourselves in a real place in my case Los Angeles. Um, And so even though I didn't know how to actually interact with people, I was terrified they would hurt me or whatever. um, I still, I could have sat in my bedroom, but like a deep knowingness inside of me knew I have to at least go put my body somewhere public. I need to be in the flow of life, even if I don't know how to get out of my own snow globe. And so it was by becoming, I uh, was Pregnant in Starbucks. I didn't get pregnant in Starbucks, just to clarify. (laughs) I sat in a chair in Starbucks, pregnant. And, you know, one of the three universal conversation bridges are babies. The other two are are boots or what you're wearing and dogs. Strike up a conversation with anyone on the planet through one of those conversation bridges, and you're good to go. And so people actually started breaking the ice with me. They would see me sitting in that table every single day reading my books. Like, why is that weird lady over there all the time, not talking to people. Um, but then when I was pregnant and my belly started showing, they're like, Oh, what are you do?" And these sorts of things. And it really only took that crack, you know, of that mm-hmm. very normal kind of interaction for me to start to become familiar with what it was like to, you know, engage with people from all over the world, from all kinds of different backgrounds um, and it actually be a positive experience. And so then, of course, this this builds slowly, this is how trust builds, it builds slowly through micro bids, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Especially if you've been hurt or you're shy or um, various things, uh, trust builds slowly. You don't have to become an extrovert on steroids in order to, to have friends and build community. And so very slowly, I started becoming comfortable with people saying, hey, can I sit down for a second while my latte is brewing? And in that three-minute latte window, without my knowing even what I was doing, um, I was creating space, right? And I was listening to them. Their whole life story would spill out. And they didn't even know what they were doing. And inevitably, they would get up from the table when their triple soy latte with three pumps of caramel extra <laughs> um, was done <laughs> and be like, almost like coming out of a dream and be like, thank you so much for listening to me. I was sitting in the flow of their life, mm-hmm. right? At that point. And they didn't even know what they needed, but they, we all need the same thing. Someone to give a crap. That's it. And I was sitting there day after day, giving a crap. And then pretty soon the tables turned and I was in a position of great distress. My marriage exploded and I was left as a single mom and no job. And and, um, it was those people who I had been investing in, in these little ways and handing them cookies and tangerines when they came and little bookmarks and things that I made. And um, it was then that this crew of people living in tents on the LA River, to rock stars, to aspiring undertakers, like you name it, they were coming through that Starbucks, that um, I never in a police lineup would have been like, oh, those are my people. That's going to be my best friend, never would have guessed. But they became the social safety net that me and my son needed when we were falling. And it was then that I realized that community, friendship, love, these aren't just like whipped cream on the top of your latte. This is like the matrix of life and it has to be in place for our own survival in crises um, but also to have any kind of quality of thriving. We were never meant to be self-sufficient. We were never meant to be branded entities that sell each other and sell ourselves um, in transactional relationships. We were born hungry and dependent tied to another person by a cord. And until we learn how to relive like that, we will continue to experience all the expected fallout. Of course we're lonely. Of course we're lonely. That is the only sane response to a community fabric that's unraveled and isn't meeting our basic social need.
1: Well, I could literally just listen to you talk forever about this uh, and your experiences with it. So first off, I have so much love for you that I'm a big advocate of choosing love over fear. And when you write, when you didn't want to leave, you didn't want to go to Starbucks because of the fear of what are people going to think of me or what's going to happen. But I love how you said it too. It's like you had this deep knowing that you needed to get out and be in energy and be in the flow and go see people. And it's like you follow that. You followed like your intuition in your gut as opposed to your ego, which was saying, oh my gosh, don't go do this. Protect, protect yourself and stay here and, and be a hermit and stay sheltered and don't ever go do anything else because here you are safe and out there there's the unknown and you have no idea what's going to happen and you took that leap into the unknown and that's where everything happened right you didn't st- oh what was that
0: totally and i'm sorry it was no. just like no they started hearing the frozen song in- <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> But, uh, but I feel like that's where all of life either starts blooming or shuts down. It's in these tiny decisions
1: mm-hmm. that
0: don't even seem like they're big, but right? Like, how does every oak tree start? Yep. You know, and it's mm-hmm. in these like moments and we get them day after day. And so if we haven't taken them up to this point, I was 28 years old before this started happening. So we can't rule ourselves out no matter what like reasons or uh, circumstances have been why it's been hard for us. There's ways to put yourself out there that aren't terrifying. Mm -hmm. You know, like I went there and it's not like I had the goal to talk to every single person in the place. Right. But what could I do? I could sit there. That's enough. Anything Mm -hmm. you can do, whatever your step one is, don't belittle it, don't diminish it, and you don't ever have to become a director of belonging, whatever your one tiny step is, you're saying yes to life.
1: It's so cool too that, and as you just mentioned, you were just there for people. You didn't have to say anything back. You just allowed yourself to be present with people. And that is such an awesome form of connection when we can literally just be present with one another And when the other person or me, whatever, either way, when that person can just sit and listen, because when you're sitting there and listening, the other person can feel that they know that they're being heard. They know that they're not alone. At least in this moment, they could have had the worst day ever. They could be alone all the time, but they know in that moment, they're not alone, that they're connected to at least one other person. And that can change everything for us. That can bring us such such emotion and such energy of just love and connection and that brings us back to who we are our source who we who we are and i like what you're doing is showing that as humans as the beings that we are community and connection and oneness is truly who we are at our at our being at the most simplest form of, of us right we we don't like to be alone because we are one. We are connected to everybody. So if we remove ourselves and detach, that doesn't resonate with our truest with our truest self. It's the exact opposite of really who we are. And you're just showing it's, that yeah, to a T.
0: Well, it's it's one survival impulse, right? Like when you feel so scared or so yeah overwhelmed it's one trauma response you know is to is to withdraw but we what we want to try to help people with is not to stay stuck in it right there might need to be periods where you withdraw for various reasons and solitude itself and giving yourself space to connect just with with yourself on your own um is huge for our capacity to be present to others right yes yes there's a healthy way to do that and there's a way where it is um a stuckness right? where And that's what we want to help people not get trapped in Hmm. and to feel like they have multiple kinds of resources out. Not everyone needs to go to a therapist, but some people that might need to be their their route. That's great. Hmm. Um, There's, you know, I don't like to limit the number of resources people have or paths, you know, right? We want to expand them to be as many as there are people. So everyone has their own path, but that feeling of um, getting stuck in yourself is a, a living death. Because you're right, we are none of us birthed ourselves, none of us, you know, sustained ourselves, you know. But what happens is for various like life circumstance reasons and lack of education reasons, meaning, we don't get taught this in school is what I mean. Um, so unless we've gotten it you know, intuitively from the communities that we're raised in, it's not depicted well in media. So really we're flying blind um, unless we've had the privilege of being in intact um, families and communities that do this well. Um, but otherwise um, it can be just absolutely um, a helpless feeling. To have no clue how to get out of it and be so scared to even try. Um, so that is a form of just being aware of when um, we're starting to shut down mm-hmm. on ourselves yeah. rather than just take a break um, and find the micro ways that we are capable of staying open. And that could be, you know, everyone has a different horizon of possibility in front of them but to be able to say, no, I'm going to refuse to shut down, not just for myself, because the the way I like to help people who are starting to really shut down on themselves um, is to say, yeah, but you're preventing someone else from the gift of your presence if you do that. Yes. Yes. And then there's, there's this kid book. I pretty much only use kid, kids books when I teach because research has its place, but it not the place that most people are living out of and so i used i like to use kids books this book is called the gift of nothing um and this book is all about um it's by patrick mcdonald and this book is just all about helping us understand that it is our presence Not and not some future version, best self version of ourselves, but like our current in process, beautiful, unclear, Mm -hmm. wonderful selves, um, that is the biggest gift that we can give the world um, and give the people that we're already around on a daily basis. Your Trader Joe's cashier or coworker, um, your bus driver, your boss, your annoying little sister, like the people were already around. I really try to help the people um, live to scale. What is the scale of your real life? Who's already in it? And how do we open towards them even one degree to wonder about how we can just be present for them? And that tends to relieve people from like, well, what if they don't like me? Or what if, you know, like this performative um, thing that's very natural uh, in some ways, but to get the focus off of how people might reject us, because that's generally the root fear, Mm. um, to how can I simply love the people I'm already around?
1: Yes, yeah, right, I love it It's like it's not worrying about am I gonna be enough? Are they gonna accept me? It's just like just being just being there and being present, being who you are because that is enough. Thank you for sharing that because that really who you and I, who you are right now is enough, and right we all have these goals I do of being you know connecting to my higher self and getting to this level of like immense love, but I do this a lot where I'll bring myself back to the present. And I'm just grateful for where I am right now, right? Like reaching for these things, but not in a way where I'm seeing where I could be and being mad at myself for where I'm at right now. And that's why I feel like self-love is so important. Just having love for ourselves. We literally just, we don't have to do anything. We just have to be here. And Kat, I love so much. You mentioned before that this type of thing wasn't in mainstream media. It wasn't taught in schools, right? It really, you didn't really know about it unless you had someone in your community or a parent or a sibling or someone really close to you talking to you about this. And the reason why I wanted to have you so badly on the podcast is because you're bringing this more to the forefront. You're bringing this more to people's awareness. Like that reality of it not existing, you are helping in that shift where it is now starting to exist more.
0: I hope so. I mean, what else should I be giving my life to? I mean, I honestly, when, when you've had the privilege of having the arc of transformation that I've had in my life, like you can't not run back into the burning building. Mm. You can't Um, because so much is possible for every single one of us, no matter where we're at uh, or how mature we feel like we are, how much time we feel like we have to give, like there is so much hope to be had. Um, and so I love knowing that these kinds of movements um, exist and various good news movements and stuff because there's no shortage of alarm bells being rung, right? And if you look at even the op-eds that have come out over the last you know, couple years about the loneliness crisis, um, and of course it had been called the loneliness epidemic, I refuse to call it that because that makes it seem like people are sick. And I'm just like, no, people are just hungry. And it's actually not their fault. It's because there's food deserts of people that we've created through this economic model mm-hmm. and through these bizarre beliefs about how individuals are supposed to be self-sufficient. Um, I'm sorry. I don't remember someone ever being born self-sufficient. Did you nurse yourself? I don't think so. Um, so, you know, <gasps> kind of just like... <laughs> Reality check. Uh, what are we doing? So true. There are people in our midst. There are communities of people. There are like all kinds of people groups, all kinds of countries, all kinds of regions that don't have this problem with loneliness. Um, and so I'm like, it's not like, you know, we don't have knowledge. Right, and so I'm trying. When individuals can't solve the systemic layers of things, unless they're in those positions in leadership, in politics, or you know, running organizations, um, I like to try to just say, "Okay, person, human person, um, what do you have control over? Who do you have influence over? Because we were meant to live in these these small circles of sufficiency in real places." With a purpose, a joint, a shared purpose um, towards well-being, and so helping people like detach from these alarm bells that are getting rung on the national stage about. I never forget the worst. The worst one I read headline of an op-ed was, um, "We need a war on loneliness," and I'm like, "So military language about this kind of problem is like, and where were you going to drop your battle line?" And who were you going to shoot? I mean, what does that even mean? But it, to me, it was just such a sad statement. The author was obviously trying to raise awareness that we've got this massive problem. But I'm like, your solution is war? Mm. What? And I wrote a response to the op-ed that didn't get published, of course. But I'm like, first of all, no, we need moms. We need moms or the model of motherhood to show us what it means to make space for another person in your life. To pay attention to them when they can't do anything for you. To love them and nurture them exactly as they are before they can contribute jack squat. They can't even hold their own heads on their necks. Um, And we're with them and for them and identifying with them through time and change. That's the kind of model that will shift things, not a war. But to me, it's like part of the problem of how we got here in the first place.
1: Totally right. It's like the idea of like, it's the war on this which just comes through so hard with just such, such negative connotations, right? And just such the opposite of actually what we're trying to achieve here. And right, it's like uh, the mother example is so good because it's like we're, we're here, we should be creating space for each other to be here for one another and help when needed to. And sometimes just being present, but that's what it is. It's creating that space where somebody can feel like they have that space there to come into our lives and they have the space to feel nurtured and to feel cared for. Cause we all just like in moments just really want that and need that. And what you're saying too is so true. It's like, again, being born with the umbilical cord and, you know, being nursed in the beginning and being breastfed. And like, all the like that idea, it's like, we've never been self-sufficient. It's like, right? Why, why is it like, is it the ego? Like what came into this reality of being like, you have to do everything alone. We're separate. You know what I mean? Like we're not community you have to be self-sufficient. You have to figure this out all on your own. And it's like, no, that's like not, not, that's not what we're meant to do. Like again, at our truest self, we want connection to other people. And I love how you mentioned before too. It's like great to have your own time by yourself. Cause that is huge. I think I think it's great to have our own time alone to reflect on ourselves, to bring our attention inward and understanding how are we acting? Is there something that we could do differently? Can we come from a place of love more often than we are right now? Like Those moments of silence and alone time are very, very important in our growth. But like you mentioned before too, it's like there's a balance there, right? There is such a balance. It can't just be really far on one side or really far on the other. It's not like this or that. It's the end idea you know what I mean? No,
0: it's, dy- it's the dynamic, right? Like, and that might, um, the proportions of that might change throughout your life, right? You might have different needs to be alone more times than others. Yeah. Um, you might be an introvert introverts need more time to recharge, but it's, yeah, it's making sure you're standing in that dynamic. Um, you can't just, but when I was in high school or college, I wore this Harley Davidson t-shirt around. I was like this like thrift store girl. And I had this like Harley Davidson t-shirt that said the eagle soars alone. And I'm like, well, I don't know how to have friends and I hate people. So I'm just gonna like own it as my brand man. I read Jack Kerouac and I like was like, "Eh." and part of that, sure. If you're going through like a developmental phase where you're differentiating yourself from your family so you can find your identity. Okay, but that's not a lifestyle right? Like you can't actually live like that. Eagles, fine if they soar alone, but like, did they feed themselves from their own food sources? I mean, that's bananas if you take it to a certain extreme, right? right? And um, the other thing that I like to tell people, because I think you're really um, right, Justin, uh, about the, um, there's this fact that we all belong, like existentially, we belong in our lives. We belong in this world. We belong, um, in the bodies we have in the places that we are. But what ends up happening is that through the rough and tumble of life, not getting what we needed, being hurt, not, not understanding like things that we have a right to be taught. Um, we get disconnected from the experience of that truth because the people or the environments that we or in were themselves not capable of clearly affirming that fact and messaging that fact to us without asterisks. And so there's this gap between the fact of our belonging and the experience of it. And I think that's where we can step in and mediate belonging, the truth of our belonging for each other. And that's in our ways that we think of each other, the ways that we're disposed to be of service to each other in the flow of our life. And that's a lifelong journey, right? There's no point in which you're like, got my black belt in that don't need to, you know, um, it's a yeah. lifelong journey and privilege, you know, um, but yeah, I just wanted to, to, to note that thing about experience, um, and that being where the disconnect is. And it's almost like you can't expect people to believe, um, the fact of their belonging if it's never been effectively mediated or messaged to, to them, right? And so, because it just will remain this like abstract concept. But the point is, they have not. If someone's saying that, it's because they've not had the real experience in their body of someone actually messaging that to them. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be. Some, it doesn't have to be Brene Brown. It probably shouldn't be Brene Brown because she doesn't actually know them. You know, it's someone in the 18 inches of our space that can do it most effectively. And it can be the mailman. It can be your grandma. It can be your babysitter. Like, it, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, But when people are are at a place where they're really um, unable to believe it for themselves, Hmm. they might be able to believe it for everyone else. But when they can't believe it for themselves, there's a gap in their experience So just telling them over and over and over again, we're interdependent, we're part of a web of being, someone needs to show up for them. That's what I needed. I needed literally thousands of people over time at Starbucks to message to me, Kat, you're good enough exactly as you are, for it to soak into my bones Mm. after 20 years of not being able to believe it. And so I think that experience gap is somewhere where we all need to start raising our hands and say, yeah, I'll step into that. I can do that.
1: Yes. Right. And it's, it's really so true. It's, we can have a, a thought about something or understand that it may exist, but the experience is where it totally comes through to us. It's like, if you never knew what peanut butter was and someone described peanuts, so it's made out of you know, peanut butter, it's made out of peanuts, they grind it down. They try to make it smooth, but it's kind of thick. And it's like, okay, I can kind of understand that, but you really fully grasp it when you can actually taste peanut butter, right? And it's the same idea. It's like you can only not really like, fully yeah. Gr- yeah, grasp it when you're, you, when you're experiencing it. And it, it's so true too. It's like people may even know that belonging exists, but they really don't. They only know about it on a logical mindset, like a mind sort of uh, of a level, not in their feeling and not in their energy and that is that that is such a a disconnect and you touched on it too where it's like people probably really think that belonging doesn't exist for them because just simply because they've never actually experienced it before but it is and it's so important too to have the people that can be there and show up for those other people and create that space and allow them To know that there is this sense of belonging, there is this sense of connection, and like you can feel it too. And then once that person feels that, that must just like ignite a light inside of them and a fire because that's some of the best feelings in the world. Yes, I love my alone time, but I really, really love being with people and sharing space and sharing our energy and sharing ideas. And knowing that people are there for me, like right now, this conversation, like I feel like we're connected. We are here together. I am so engaged in what you're saying. And I there's a sense of belonging with the both of us, right? And when we're separated from that and we don't have that, there is just such loneliness and, and, and just such a lack. And this world is an abundant world. There's love every, There's love everywhere. We just have to be able to open up ourselves and be able to receive it.
0: Yeah. Tap into the mainframe. And I love the peanut butter, peanut butter. Analogy. <laughs> it's so good. Right. You can actually feel like, yeah. And I, and you know, that's one of the struggles with, with doing this work is that, you know, I was lonely for 20 years, but I never once had the thought I'm lonely. Huh? Yeah. I never once had the thought I want to belong. I want to have, you know, you know so I think even that kind of language is really the language of researchers and leadership who are trying to create solutions. That's not often the, the um, verbal and mental landscape that we're walking around with. And so part of the work is to raise awareness to help people start to identify, is this thing I'm feeling? Loneliness? Okay, if it is, How do I not get immediately under shame about it, that Mm -hmm. there's something wrong with me? That's the quick slide. Mm -hmm. Um, But if people don't even know what loneliness is, or, you know, or they think that's like the kid who wears sweatpants with elastic around the waist sitting in the corner, that's the lonely kid. Like, Like, what are the images we have of loneliness? Because the fact is more than half Americans are lonely. Have you seen half the people walking down the street with a sign around their neck advertising it? No, we hide it. We're ashamed of it. It's stigmatized, right? And there's no, no way to really bring it even into your own friend circles oftentimes. And so um, part of it is like starting to unpack, like what is this thing? And how instead of running away from it, like a bat out of hell, um, or you know, tr- trying to attack it with a war, how do we actually befriend our own experience of loneliness and sit with it? and say, hello, what are you doing here? How yeah. did you get here? Yeah. What do you need? <laughs> what can we think about this together? Yeah. Right? How to, and then, of course, being able to do that for each other, um, as is, you know, part of uh, our relationships and, and language. Um, so there's like an enormous amount of work to do. Uh, and I always just try to help people by sharing my own story, help find the contours of their own. And I never recommend that everyone just, what, replicate what I do and go sit in a coffee shop for 10 years? No. But if you're already a coffee shop sitter, sure, you might borrow some tips from exactly like, the tactics I used, mm-hmm. right? But the point is to get us aware of, of our own social stories. How, what has shaped me up to the point that I am, such that I have the habits that I do and the beliefs that I do about what's possible for relationships? What are my media influences on this? Is it friends? Okay. That's one version, right? Um, or, or what are the circumstances that have shaped am, and what do I want the next chapter to look like? And when we can start to find our self in our own social stories and understand all the complex influences on us, um, I think it empowers us to say, okay, um, this is how I've been shaped. This is what I want to hold on to the good of the things that I've yeah. been taught and empowered with. Um, this is what I want to let go of. And here's the next micro step I want to take in building meaningful relationships for, for myself and for my world.
1: Mm -hmm. Can you, can you go back to yourself in high school? Did you realize at that point you were alone, that you were lonely? Um, I
0: never, no, I grew up in Western Pennsylvania in a very small town. And, um, my dad had two emotions, hunger and rage. Um, and, and the rage was always directed at like you know, the Steelers game. Um, but yeah, there, there was just not any kind of social discourse, um, about anything like this. And so, um, I mean, teachers knew I was moody. They would call me moody. Um, and I would be withdrawn, but no one ever was like introduced those terms to me. I never had the thought, I don't think I was ever exposed to that word ever. Maybe yeah um and so uh you know and that was through college i hadn't even put my finger on it
1: right it, it all starts with awareness it's like we have to be aware of what's even happening in order to make a change like awareness is in my mind all the time more than even half the battle because nothing can be done without knowing that there needs to be something that has to be done
0: totally and when you can have people start to put language to things you can then say look this yeah. is one way to think about it mm-hmm. you might not resonate with the word lonely what would you resonate with what better describes your experience right yeah. and so we want people to the point is to get us um, deeply connected to what we're actually experiencing there's nowhere to go if you don't know where you're at yeah right doesn't you don't necessarily need to know exactly how you got there you right. know you might know some things but it, Don't need to do an autopsy on your past. Um, But, you know, to be able to say, here's the feeling wheel, like, uh, I didn't even know there were like 100 possible emotions or 100, you know, and start to help people in their own words, start to be able to name what they're experiencing. It's a form of literacy in that way, you know? And then yep. of course, once you start to explore that for yourself, it gets more and more nuanced and you get better and better at being able to um, notice that and hold that and help other people with their variety of experiences as well and give them permission, right? Um, yep, definitely. And tools to be able to hold them.
1: Yes. And Kat, I, um, I really want to ask too, about how, how is, how is this structured at USC? Are there, is it one class? Are you the, you know, the sole person in the department? Are there multiple? Like, what are some of the titles of the classes? It's like everything you've said, oh my gosh, is so good. And I'm connecting with it so much and it all makes so much sense. So it's like now at USC, what does that structure and layout look like in order for you guys to implement this change?
0: <laughs> um, well, I'm laughing at you. I'm laughing with you because the whole the whole thing has been so organic how it's happened because mm-hmm. the point is they haven't had a structure yeah. right for mm-hmm. this and that's part of the problem uh, with institutions of various sorts. there is no structure to support this kind of work and more you get called in in crisis right for some kind of crisis intervention or some kind of workshop because everyone's left the company or everyone you know there's been some scandal. Um, But what I was very clear about is I'm not interested in addressing loneliness. I'm interested in creating conditions for belonging. Hmm. If we create conditions for belonging, friendship and community, loneliness will not be the the unruly beast that it is. Mm-hmm. there will i mean loneliness is actually interwoven in the human condition but there's there's ways in which loneliness can be metabolized as part of your normal life experience and ways in which it becomes dangerous and um, life threatening so um that being said it's not the goal to completely do away with ever, ever with ever experiencing loneliness right that's not the goal um it's to have a context to hold it well and actually use it for your own um development and empathy with others Um, and so I was very clear about wanting to build the positive things that would because we're wired for connection right we're working with our social natures so this shouldn't be like salmon swimming upstream this should be like well duh if you remove the obstacles and provide the basic elements of this people will flourish right this isn't actually rocket science but we're not doing the things and so we, um, basically like a lot of times we want to think about what would be the utopia or what would be the ideal way to strategize this with an organizations or, um, cities or something like that. And I'm more like, yeah, no thanks. I don't work like that. What works is actually finding out what's possible right this second. And you start with what's possible and the people who are already on board and open, the work will not work if people don't want to engage with the process. Yeah. You cannot force people to give a shit about each other. You can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you, 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 so I was like, where's the opening? Where can we actually start? Rather than this big like scheme of strategizing this five-year plan of this ecosystem or something, right? I'm like, no, you start with where is there one plot of soil and one seed we can plant and see what happens. And so that ended up being within USC. Um, My department is Office of Religious and Spiritual Life um, with the wellbeing initiative um, or wellbeing folks at USC. Mm -hmm. So my Dean was over both of those. And so, for five years, USC has built out this incredible um, set of non-credit offerings uh, through mind, what's called Mindful USC. So, a lot of mindfulness classes, mindful self-compassion, mindful parenting, mindful study skills, mindful, like mindful, mm-hmm. mindful, 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 mindful. Um, and it's been enormously successful. Uh, and the classes fill up in like you know 15 minutes every single time. And so they were like, "Cat, can you create?" a a class, a non-credit, you know, class that would be open to the whole university, Um, you know, through mindful. And I'm like, I'm not going to make anything worse (laughs) 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 by by trying. I will not make anything worse. Um, But I had never, right. I was living this. I was not ever trying to um, teach it to other people in an explicit way. So it was a big learning for me to answer a question that I thought I knew the answer to, but wasn't sure yet of, can this be taught? Or do you just have to be a lucky duck who just gets it and knows how to do it, hmm. right? I was born with social ease. I just am so lucky, right? Like, can this be taught? Mm-hmm. And not just taught in like this skill-based way where like, now I will make a friend. Let me listen to you. Like, but that was actually able to intersect in an extremely diverse uh, range of human experience, right? And so I was like, so, um, I I love challenges in this work because I don't think you can do anything wrong. Um, I think you just learn through, like over and over, like you keep learning. Um, And so I, you know, was thinking I'm like a class how do I teach a class based on like what I learned in the coffee shops from the inside out that could work for like uh, I had no idea who my students were going to be right. and so um I thought back on what I had really been doing like what was I doing that enabled these kinds of meaningful connections to happen in a 20-second crosswalk and that other people were doing. And mm-hmm. so I came up with this methodo- this methodology called CLICK, which stands for connecting as we are, where we are, listening first, investigating without judgment, mm. communicating kindness, and keeping in touch. And what I was looking for is like, is there a way to think about, cause I'm trained in philosophy, that's my background. So I'm always thinking about like, What are like the root causes of things and like the necessary conditions for things and like all these geeky philosophy things. But I'm like, what are the elements involved and that that are required of us to form meaningful connections with people such that if you removed any one of those, the relationship couldn't really take root and and develop a life of its own. Yeah. And so I just structured the five weeks um, based on those themes. It's all about getting students to talk to each other, share their social journeys, um, experiment with ideas and um, practices that connect them with themselves, with the others in the room and with um, the larger circles that they move in. And um, it evolves every semester, but it was designed as a face-to-face experience. And I brought in Plato, and I, br- you know, um, the modeling clay, not the philosopher, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I brought him in too, with questions. but, um, uh, yeah, brought in like, I mean, I brought in brownies and I brought in fl- plastic flamingos and it was like very fun, um, you know, environment to create a, 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 a low risk environment of mm-hmm. joy for mm-hmm. people to be able to engage these things. And um, I didn't really know what I was doing or what would happen. And I learned a lot. And then we ended up doing it online during COVID. And it was actually more effective online, which blew my little mind Uh um, for various reasons. Uh, And so in the fall, I'm actually handing back that workshop over to my boss to facilitate. And it's gonna be hybrid, both in-person and online simultaneously so that I can do a different project called Spark, which is gonna be um, a design lab where a small group of students are gonna to come together and design their own pilot projects in friendship, connection, and belonging in their various dorms and student groups and various things. Because you know we talk about loneliness solutions, generally researchers are involved, generally like surgeon generals are involved and various people, but I'm like, why aren't lonely people involved? Why aren't they being seen as drivers of of the change in their own lives and in their own circles? And so I'm really passionate about putting the power into um, the people's hands uh, to do this together. And I'm um, excited to see what happens.
1: I think that I, that's so cool. The fact that Right. There isn't this overarching superstructure of this is exactly how it has to go. And we we can't weigh on that at all. You're letting it just evolve on its own because, right, this is so brand new. And I think that is just so incredibly important to not be so stuck in your ways and be like, nope, this is how it's going to go. That's it. There's no other way because we don't know so it's just the fact that you're letting it just really morph on its own and go and grow in the way it, it's going to, naturally and organically, I feel like it's like the best way to do it because you're not capping it. You know what I mean? You're not putting a a ceiling on it where, okay, it's only this. You're literally opening the doors, you're opening it up to infinite possibilities of where it can go and how it can help people. Which I just in my mind is like just it's just it's such like a freeing way of thinking about it, right? And you're allowing. You're allowing it to just be, and you're allowing the energy to do its thing and go in the way that it, that it's going to go. And one of the other really, really important things that you just mentioned, oh, this is so good. You are focusing on the belonging. You're not focusing on the loneliness. And I feel like the really great part of that is, in whatever we want to achieve in life, I think it's crucial that we put our energy into that, not into what we don't want. Because it's all energy. And if we're putting all of our energy into what we don't want, we're just manifesting more of what we don't want. And we're creating the reality of more and more and more of that, of of what we don't want. But you're choosing to focus on the belonging. Like let's be here and present in belonging and connection with each other. Not let's be here and present in loneliness and why and what's happening. It's like, you're putting your energy and your effort towards the solution. And Mother Teresa has this phenomenal quote, it's not exactly this, but it is. She's like, if you um, if you were to invite me into a um, an anti war protest, I wouldn't go. But if you invite me to a pro peace protest, That's
0: exactly.
1: Of course, I will go and be there because it's again, it's the idea of not putting your energy into the thing that you don't want. Because as we think anti-war 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 we're putting out the energy and the vibration of war of war of war of war of more of that of more of that thing so if you're focusing on the loneliness and the loneliness you're putting out the idea and the energy of more and more loneliness but you're not doing that you're putting the focus and energy on the belonging and and that is the root of how you're going to figure it out and how you're going to solve this this issue that's happening you're putting your all of everything into that solution and that just think about how much that just like drastically changes everything you're not thinking about okay lonely and like negative vibration and and why you're 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 more high vibrational you're more into the aspect of being successful in it you're more on the aspect of a solution, which i just i really wanted to to point that out because as soon as you said that i just i thought that was really. Is right, right here. We you want to achieve this, right? You want to create more belonging, more connection, and I think that is just such a, a great way in order to actually achieve what you are. You're setting yourself out to achieve.
0: I, I hope so, right? Like because yeah. you can't get anywhere if you don't have a vision for where you're trying to go. Right, and your vision can't just be what you stand against. Yes. Of course, we stand like you could have had a stop spreading the hate movement.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but you. Why uh, did you
0: pick? Why did you pick? Right? It's 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 like what do we actually want to be filling our minds with? What examples do we want to be dwelling on? What kind of places do we want to be partnering with? And all of those things. Just even saying the word, how many times do you say the word love? Right, and how many times do I now say the word belonging? Yep. My God, like I, you know, probably crossed some kind of Guinness Book of World Record here <laughs> with a number of times i said this, you know, before like I had this kind of work. Um, i would never said the word in my life, you know, but like the more, we, you know, our words, you know, are very, very powerful. We hear the words going back into our ears. Um, people hear them coming out of our mouths and um, that impact can't be understated.
1: Yeah. And I, you sang the example of like... It makes it click even more for me how true this is that the name of it is spread love movement, not don't spread hate. You know, don't
0: spread apathy. Yeah,
1: because yeah. <laughs> right, if, if it was called don't spread hate, I would be thinking about hate like unconsciously all the time. It would just be such a part of my reality and awareness is hate. Even though I'm saying, well, I don't want to spread hate, but it would just be continuous hate in my life and. Wow, I'm, like that really did. That just made it. it there's, it's really special when there's certain, just a, a few words or an idea or a concept that just makes it click and lock in that much more. So thank you for that. That was, you know, because that really touched me and really, really connections what we keep talking about, but really connected with me because that is, you know, what I'm doing in, in my life. And in calling it Spread Love Movement, I have just been engulfed in the energy of love for years now. I'm so grateful for it. Uh, just the immense amount of love that is has really just continuously come into my life, and if I called that something different, it would it just wouldn't be the same,
0: right?
1: At all. And Kat, so I want to ask you too. It's the the question I ask every single guest on the podcast, and I realize every time I'm asking the question, I always say like this to him: like you're already doing it because you are. <laughs> but I don't want to put words or thoughts in your you know in your mouth or your mind. Um, my biggest goal in life. Um, personally with Spread Love Movement is just to help shift the collective consciousness of the planet to be in a place that's more connected mm-hmm. in a place that's more loving and kind and open and vulnerable and forgiving um, in the connection, a place that's just more one and more together. Yeah. It's just like, I know that consciousness can be achieved because I get little blips of it in my own reality. You know what I mean? In my own uh, community and, and my own group of friends and, and the people I spend my time with and I see it there. And I was like, "Wow, this can really exist everywhere." Um, so, just Kat, what do you you know? What do you feel like you're doing now in the future uh, that is helping in this in this shift of consciousness?
0: Oh, what a! Isn't that the question, right? I feel like how can we get some kind of angel investor to put that on the side of a building in Times Square or <laughs> yeah. skywrite it? Right? Just that. Kind of, I mean, open ended questions are so huge. Um, in connecting us even. Um, Mm. You know, I really try to focus on the really tiny spaces and tiny moments. Um, I of course have these huge dreams of what would it be like if we had literal um, brick and mortar spaces in every single city and town where people could have a way to, Meet friends, find belonging, learn about these facts, learn how to become Wi-Fi hotspots everywhere they are. Like, what if that existed, and the people in those towns themselves ran them, knew what their people needed, and it was adequately resourced, right? I would, I would love for that. I would love to have a, a you know, a traveling TV show where we go around the country and we activate people around these things. Um, And help them, you know, remove the obstacles and take them seriously as, um, as people who can change the lives of those around them. So I have like all kinds of things like that. But really, at the end of the day, what I'm doing on a daily basis is what's happening in between this space and this space, and this space, and this space, where my body actually is and I'm talking to you right now. I'm 18 inches away from the screen. My son's in Boston right now, but when he's home, my priority is my son.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How am I speaking to Noah today? Am I, am I actually paying attention to him or am I looking through him to where I need to be next?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How am I caring about the people who are calling my phone off the hook, trying to tell me that my car warranty is passed to do? Am I going to be a jerk to them? Or, I mean, it's the, it's the tiny spaces. I'm trying to be radically present to what I'm experiencing and what is at hand. Um, and that's all I really, at the end of the day can, can have influence over. I think like, Mm -hmm. maybe I'll never get an angel investor to help me create these, these beehives all over the world, you know? Okay. But can I, at the end of my life say, but I loved my son. I made him that peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So it, I, I really try to, to to keep things in perspective um, by living tiny.
1: You have this, right, this big idea, right, to have these hotspots all over the place, and I would love to see that happen. That would create a radical shift, like whoosh. And then you have you have that, and then you have just the simplicity as well. You were like, "Well, if we don't get the angel investors, and you know that can't happen." Because right, that idea is somewhat more out of our control right. and out of your control, right? And then it's, I love that you pulled it right back into, and you said, "Well, you know, if I don't get the angel investors and that doesn't happen, well, what can I just do myself?" <laughs> and I just truly feel like that is the answer. What can we do ourselves, like? Not putting the attention outward. And again, if we're able to create a massive thing like that, yes, do that. But we have more control and more power over just who we are. Right. And how, right, we're showing up every day. Right now.
0: What can we do right right now? now.
1: Exactly. Have the dreams,
0: dreams, but don't let your life slip away from you until they're, you know, realized. Like this can be part of the dream.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. This is so part of the dream. Well, yeah, this moment is really the only moment. Right. And I love I love you, Kat. For like, what am I doing right now? Because that's all that. That's really all that matters. Is this present moment. This is the only thing that actually exists. Right. Is here right now. So how are we showing up in the world? How are we acting to the person that either showed us a lot of love or that didn't show us any love at all? That actually showed us hate. Who do we want to be? And that's the thing. Every single moment it gives us the, it's a beautiful thing. Every moment gives us the opportunity to show up in the world the way that we think that we're going to. Mm-hmm. And that includes the really difficult times when the person was really mean to you, right? So it's like, that person's really mean to me. Well, am I going to let them have control over my being and I'm going to let them dictate who I am and then blame it on them? Or am I going to show up as the person who I know that I truly can be and come back to that person in love? because well, it's
0: totally yeah. you know that dynamic too is you know not letting our behavior to whatever extent right there's some extremes of this that it's very hard to control if someone punches you in the face for example you know it's 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 hard to turn the other cheek doesn't mean we can't yes. learn to but um yes. that you know that becomes a bodily response but um to not let our own choices be determined by the choices that people around us are making um yep is really hard, but totally learnable through practice, you know, and, and practice with people who, you know, you can talk to about your process as well. But I have this little, um, graphic I created for my students called fishing lines. And I said, Hey, whenever you go into a, you know, a new situation or situation with other humans, just imagine like they've got fishing lines and whatever they say or do, they can throw out their line and hook you. And are you going to let them reel you in to certain kinds of emotions or certain kinds of thoughts that they have, or are you going to carry around a pair of scissors and say, and clip the line and say, no, you don't control my responses. Um, Those are yours. Mm -hmm. You can keep them. I have mine. And you know, that kind of image, because in this work, when we talk about love and connections, you know, um, and I say, you know, show me your relationship with your sister it's invisible. What are you going to point to? Right? So much of this stuff is invisible, nonsense perceptible. And so we have to be finding ways to talk about it through metaphors and images that can help us understand the dynamics yeah. that are at a play so that we don't keep getting caught in the same loops or the same behavioral patterns that are self-sabotaging um, that we don't see a way out of. So that's one of the reasons kids books are great too is because they put it not only in a story form but in a visual form that helps us see these things that are um ruling our lives oftentimes but that are invisible and when something's faceless uh you don't even know where it's what to do with it or 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 how to speak to it
1: totally i honestly metaphors have been something that i've just like come into my life more from my friends and they're people who are like like like-hearted and like-minded and when they'll articulate something in a metaphor it clicks right exactly it takes something that has no appearance and seems like it's lacking or invisible and you can't really get a grip on or grasp on and then through a metaphor it just paints this picture which creates it to be real Totally. right and it outlines it in a way that it's like, all right, I can fully, fully grasp that and understand that now because you're taking this thing that's kind of non existent without form and you're creating form with yeah, it. Yeah,
0: totally. And it, they're always imperfect, right? They're not supposed yeah, yeah. to be exact, but it's so that it's a teaching tool for us to examine yeah. our own experiences together. I, I, mm-hmm. feel, I feel like I either want to write a book just about metaf- like a metaphor on each page for various dynamics and things like this, or I think it'd be fun to like have a. Have some kind of tour that went went around to neighborhoods, or I don't know what it would be—coffee shops, campuses—and people just got to play with metaphors around their social experience because um, they're very, very non-threatening.
1: Yeah. Anyway, wow. too many ideas. Yes.
0: Too many ideas. So much exciting work to do.
1: You do. I was. I was just thinking that too. I was like, "Wow, Kat's got a. She's got a really bright future, just continuously moving forward," and you really have some just very unique. Mind-opening, life-altering, like reality-shifting ideas, and uh, I'm excited to see, you know, which ones will come to fruition and which ones connect with you the most. Because there are going to be some, Kat, that you're going to be like, "This is me. This is resonating with my soul more than the other ones," and I'm excited to see what that's going to look like.
0: Me yeah. too. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Cat, seriously, Kat, thank you so much for just sharing your experiences and your knowledge and this brand new position that exists that we need more of. It's like you're, you're a trendsetter. You're, you're helping set the path of, um, of just, I think, a lot of growth and things that we just truly, truly need. We need to focus our awareness on things like this, on things like connecting with each other, and things like love and kindness and mm. Things that like what you're doing is just helping bring more attention to that, right? Because like everything in life is about our awareness. Like, what are we focusing on? What are we doing? Am I focusing on, you know, the Jets game? Am I focusing on what beer I think is really good? Or am I focusing on connection with others? Am I focusing on my kindness and my love and how we can be more one? And uh, Okay, then I
0: have to I share just, this, this last book with you. I don't know please, you know yeah. about this, but you're going to love it. How to do nothing. By Jenny Odell. It's changing my life. Um, it's, yes. it's pretty, it's pretty recent, I think 2019. Uh, the subtitle, get this, Resisting the Attention Economy. So she, it's it's this just incredible book, but the the, the main point I wanted to just um, relate to that you said is that we can't actually attend to the things that matter most if our attention has been pre-allocated to other things. Mm-hmm. And so if we're not even aware of that, we have attention that we've all like it's being directed somewhere generally without our conscious con, you know, consent, um, then it's going to always feel like I don't have time to do that. Yeah. And so we have to, you know, and she does this just beautiful job of saying, what would it look like, you know, if we started to actually pay attention to where our attention is going. And start to refuse to pay attention to the things that drive us into despair and division and burnout and all of the things that are just rampant, right? And what if we started to together say, I'm not going to spend six hours scrolling Instagram and then get off feeling like crap about my own friends and my own life, Mm -hmm. you know, and started to actually just pick up the phone and call Audrey and ask her how her audition went let alone go drop off flowers on her doorstep, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think this idea of attention is the fundamental building block of where we can start and say, you know, where is my attention? And do Mm -hmm. I three minutes today to free up, to direct towards what really matters to me. Start with three minutes.
1: Mm -hmm. That's such a great piece of advice. It's like, just start small because when, you know, we might become aware of something and then we want to implement this change. It could feel just overwhelming and daunting, right? So it's just take it easy and take it's it small, slow. You but, have time. but
0: the thing is, when you get a taste of it, you don't have to be told again. Hmm. You'll want to build on it, right? Like, yeah. because it 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 is a self-teacher because it's, right, it's an experience and it's experiential.
1: Yeah. Yes, yes. Kat, thank you so much. Um, I just feel like I learned so much in just really understanding who you are and your experience and what you're doing. It's making me just feel, you know, just more hope in the world and and what is to come as we move forward. And Kat, if you can just let people know um, where they can even find you on Instagram or social media so that people can, who are listening right now who want to tap into more of of what you're doing and who may be feeling really lonely at this moment, understanding that we love them so much so that they can hopefully reach out to you and connect with you.
0: Yeah, that would be awesome. I'm always so happy to hear from people, um, like the sheer variety of kinds of people and kinds of situations that reach out. I'm always just so honored to to receive um, people's hearts or what they're reaching out with. You know, and yeah. so I, I take that very, very seriously. Um, and probably the easiest way, I'm not very active on social. I'm about to launch a YouTube channel with content because I'm just desperate, you know, 15 people at a time are taking the class at USC. And I'm like, this is not good enough. I don't want this to be just a USC student experience. This is a human right. And so I don't know what else to do other than YouTube's free for me to post content on. So I'm like, I just have to get you know things available for people. So I will be launching that this fall. Um, and Justin, you should come on that. Uh, it's gonna be called Cat Chat. Um, I would love yeah, to. I'm trying love to replicate to. the coffee shop dynamic actually um, uh, with viewers because that's what I know best. And I think that that's what people feel most comfortable interacting around. <laughs> So um, I'm going to be doing that. But the easiest way to get a hold of me is through my website. And that's just cat-more.com, C-A-T-M-O-O-R-E.com.
1: Perfect. Yes. I, I, like you're going back to what you know, right? And what makes sense. And the mm-hmm. fact that, right, you're there because uh, that's how we can really shine. And you're a class of like 15. You're understanding that that's not enough. You know what I mean? And I feel the same exact way. It's not enough. And the fact you said this is a human Right is so true. So, yes, so much love and well wishes to your YouTube channel and just getting this out more. Thank, Thank you, you.
0: Justin. And I hope oh, your this podcast and this movement is just I hope you continue to to pick up the people whose whose hearts are resonating with this and you know, they can just find a space an irreplaceable place, you know, in the movement, but really in their own lives and know that where they are, they've already been sent to that group of people in that place at this time to be who they are and be a gift to each other. Um, so anything I can do to help you continue to spread the love, um, please know that I'm here with you.
1: I appreciate that so much. Thank you. Oh, what a beautiful soul you are, Kat. Uh, what a just a good person. Um, everybody, thank you for hanging out with me and Kat for a little while. This was, uh, this is, I, I feel like every episode, I'm like, this is such a great one. But every, so many times, I just feel so good leaving these conversations. Uh, and I just hope the same for everybody listening. Reach out to Kat uh, if you feel compelled to do that. Don't let your potential like shyness don't let your potential fear of reaching out stop you from doing that. If you choose fear, you stay in the known. You stay exactly where you are. But take a shot, take a leap, take a chance uh, and reach out, to, reach out to her if you feel that way and take that beautiful step into the unknown because you have no idea what can come from it. And it's really exciting. All right, everybody, we love you so much. And Kat, thank you so much again for being here. Oh
0: my gosh, thanks so much for making space.